Art Cinema Fart Cinema's Modern Fart. I'm Nadim. I'm Simon. And I'm Cameron. Hello. Welcome again. again. It's a pleasure to be back. And uh, this week's Modern Fart, I'm saying this week as though we're going to be doing this every week. We ain't. This is going to be like a little special show we do every now and then. Once in a while away. Do you guys want to hear a story? Let's hear it. Once upon a time. (laughs) Yeah. In Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. That's it. It's that's the name of the film. Oh, brilliant! This is a new show we're trying out, which we talk about uh, it's going movies well. that are coming out now. So, just for context, Nadim has seen this twice. Mm-hmm. The second time being tonight. Yeah. Cameron has seen this once, being twenty-four yes, hours ago. Yeah. I just finished watching this about one hour and twenty minutes ago. Simon is fresh. A wee bit brain fucked. Mm. <laughs> This is the kind of film that does do that to you. So we're talking about Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his brand new movie. It came out, I think, a couple days ago, right? In the UK. Not that that long ago in the UK. What's the story of it, Simon? Or do you want me to do it? (laughs) It's basically, it uh, takes place in 1969, around the time of Sharon Tate's murder, historically. But we're following the lives of... An actor, a TV actor played by Leonardo DiCaprio and his stuntman who's played by Brad Pitt. Rick Dalton mm-hmm. and uh, Cliff, Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth. Yeah. Fictional characters planted in the real Hollywood past. That's right. You're kind of treated to the ins and outs of a very intense period of uh, life for Leonardo DiCaprio's character and Brad Pitt's character in which they're kind of dealing with redundancy basically so the film set at the age, at the end of the golden age of Hollywood in which kind of TV really was taking a lot of the limelight away from of, of what people knew as Hollywood then and it was just before or just around the time that the new Hollywood was taken off which is where things like Star Wars and all that came out later on in the 70s right so, mm-hmm. so we're in this transitional period of both Hollywood that the film's set in and of the lives of Cliff and Rick. Rick. Is it Rick? Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. What do you think of the film, boys? Simon, I'm going to go to you. Because we were sitting watching this film, and because I'd already seen it, I was just constantly looking over at Simon and just watching this for, for his reactions. Well, what would you think, man? What do you think I thought based on your surveillance? I think surveillance? you really, really liked it. And yeah. I, don't, I don't mean like a little bit like it. I think you were like puppy dog. Like yeah, I, was really a, I was in heaven for... The, is it two hours and it's 40 minutes? It's a long film. It's two hours and I, 50 minutes. I loved every minute of it. And it ranged from a love where it's like, I know this is deliberately slow. And it, he's... Quentin Tarantino at this point, he knows that his audience can 
trust that they're in good hands for mm. long periods of things where you know so you might He's like getting, indulge me indulge in, me indulge me for a while it's going to come later it's going to come sooner or later it's going to come three or four times I'll it's make going, good on my promise yeah, yeah you will come you you will come three times before the end of the film yeah exactly and <laughs> Cameron <laughs> kind of what happened you know uh, you, you were sitting next to you and surprised you didn't smell it. You know. <laughs> smell, you know, you can smell sex in the air. Come on. Mm. No, this film is like it's one of those sort of taking its time, sink into the world, enjoy the character type movies. That's definitely right. So uh, yeah. this film is full of shots that have been taken in the back of a car. So so you as the viewer are the passenger in the car that the characters are driving a lot of the time. And there's these amazing driving scenes in which you know Brad Pitt's hurtling down. Uh, Los Angeles motorway and you see 1960s Los Angeles passing by and you know music's playing at the radio and a lot of the music's not even music it's just the advert music so Tarantino's mm. clearly just taken a lot of time to make the setting as authentic as possible a lot of Deep Purple there was three right? Deep Purple songs in that oh, all with sh- I didn't even know wow. Hush yeah Hush Kentucky Woman and there was a third one yeah, yeah. So that was the other thing. I noticed that Simon was constantly like tapping, tapping, his, tapping yeah. his fingers and <laughs> so was I. bobbing his head, you know, like Ooh. loving the music. It's a very different Tarantino film, I think. Yeah. Super mature, slow paced, and as you were saying, kind of deliberate. I, re- I rate it above uh, recent ones. I'm not actually such a fan of, certainly not Inglorious Bastards, and I'm not a f- huge fan of Django. Hatefully, it was better. Mm. And this is even better. I would, you know, I would say that Pulp Fiction is always going to be a hard one to beat, in my opinion. And this one kind of comes close to being about as good as his best. Wow, that's just my opinion. Out of the limited Tarantino I've seen, it was probably my least favorite. But I've only seen Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, Hatefully, and that's it. You fucking normie. Yeah. <laughs> I I do need to watch uh, Reservoir Dogs and. And glorious bastards and Django, but I thought it was it was a good it was a good period piece because I I do like a lot of the music from the late sixties into the seventies and there was a ton of that and it was great. It's like wall to wall music, right? What do you feel, Nadim? What do you feel? I liked it. I thought it was good. It's gonna it's gonna challenge people a little bit. It's it opened. And it was his, it was his biggest movie. It's his it's his biggest opening weekend. Cool, that's so good to know. I think the Quentin Tarantino brand name is so out there now that you didn't know, he, isn't this the one he worked on for like a decade? It's a total passion project. I mean, I, not not that any of his other films aren't passion projects, but this one is like this is clearly like, very this is personal. His to one, him. yeah, yeah. Because actually, the funnily enough, we were talking about the car scenes earlier on. He actually mentions in an interview that the reason for that is because his memory of this period of time was sat in the back of uh, his parents' car watching Los Angeles go by. So it's kind of neat. So I think he's clearly... Tons of little details like that have been... Um, is this one that's been in the drawer, like being... The... So the working title of this film, as they were as they were making it, was Magnum Opus. So I think he, he very yeah. much thinks this is this is it for him. If you're to believe his whole I'm only going to do 10 films thing, then... Uh, this is his last This film. is his second last film. Before he does a Star Trek and bows out. Yeah. <laughs> or a, or a, he says Star Trek or a horror film. Yeah. Now he's saying he really wants to do a horror See, film. See, I don't, I don't believe it, but I don't know. I want to say as well, like this film might be boring some people at you know x minutes in and they're looking at the watch thinking oh no he's, he's totally off the mark with this one you know. my feeling is is that you should give it its time and be aware that there is a tapestry of different moods that you're about to to get anyway should we get into spoilers countdown to spoilers five four three two one 
spoiler dumb. We're firmly into spoiler territory. If you want to have this film spoiled, for you, if you want to have this film spoiled for you, by all means, listen on. But if you don't want to have it spoiled for you, don't listen. Thank you. So there was a lot of feet in this. There's a hell of a lot of feet. At this point, I think he's having a joke at the fact that everyone knows. It felt quite self-aware. You all like having conversations about my foot fetish, so let's uh, <laughs> let's indulge that. Yeah. All the way up to 10, all the way up to 11 even, spinal, <laughs> spinal tap style. So, the obvious big spoiler to this film, and we actually, we deliberated on whether or not this review was going to be spoiler heavy or not, and I was like, it needs to be, okay? So the big reveal at the end of the film is that Sharon Tate, who died historically, doesn't die in this one. In, in this film, Tarantino, like he does in Inglourious Bastards, he subverts history and creates his own, creates his own history. Mm-hmm. So... You spend the whole film, and I did this for the first my first viewing of the film. I thought it was like building up to this horrific death, and I was kind of dreading seeing Sharon Tate get murdered on screen. I was mm-hmm. kind of like, "Is he going to sensationalize this horrific true event? What's he going to do?" And I knew that he was going to do something a little bit subversive. Maybe Sharon Tate would fight before she. I pretty much knew he was going to do something blackly comic and ridiculous, like what happens. There was a few interviews and things where they mentioned Inglorious Bastards, and it was like, so basically, he's going to do a similar ah, trick. Ah, okay, okay. See, I did yeah. not expect it. I, I was, I was fully waiting for like I was maybe going to see it go off screen, and then maybe Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters would come in and kill them off after the event had happened. Yeah, but I was expecting to see Sharon Tate get murdered Yeah, just at and the I was end, like, and I, that's when it would finish. Yeah, I was like, I don't want that to happen, no! Um, and actually, because I, I don't really know much about... I didn't know, Before seeing this film, I've actually since like sat on Wikipedia for hours on end and looked about, about this time period and stuff like that. The first time I saw this film, I was sat waiting for the murder to happen, thinking it would be early on in the film, but then my brother who was sat next to me, he was like, She's not pregnant yet, so she's not going to get killed yet. So, <laughs> so I was so whenever there was a moment where it like referred to the street where uh, Sharon Tate lived, I was I was like, oh god, here it comes, and then it never comes because this film actually holds off on the Tarantino violence until the last what ten minutes? Five. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's it's so restrained, and I think yeah. with good purpose actually. That that's why a lot of people didn't like it because it, for two hours and forty minutes, there's just. Not a lot going on. Mm. It's just Leonardo DiCaprio being a depressed drunk screaming about how shit of an actor he is now. And they think that's nothing going on, right? That's a bullshit. Yeah, I See, think that's, yeah. Ed Wood uh, was uh, Quentin Tarantino's favourite film of the year that came out. I think it was 94. And uh, when I was watching this film, I remembered that Tarantino had said that about Ed Wood because Leonardo DiCaprio's character in this is a less tragic version of Bella Lugosi in Tim Burton's uh, Ed Wood because he's this guy who's trying you know he's feeling like he's over the hill and stuff obviously Bela Lugosi he's like a properly aging drug addict but this guy's like just like he's on shaky ground basically and Mm. you kind of see him going back to his trailer and stuff I was like this is is it this is like directors always have that film that you kind of feel like they're getting to touch on material that they've liked somewhere else. Yeah, 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 100%. You know? yeah, yeah. And this was this was oh, he's getting he's getting all Ed Wood a little bit here. He's getting a little bit this there and stuff. Leonardo DiCaprio's character, seeing him go through troubles and juxtaposing that with Shanti watching her own movie and experiencing the joy of being in an audience that's laughing at the film that she's in and stuff. Mm. It's not what Tarantino is famous for. But that's what it's that's good. Sh- yeah. yeah, the best one of the best parts of the movie is when he fucks up his lines and goes back to his trailer <laughs> and just 
smashes yeah. it and he goes, you don't get your fucking line drive, I'm going to go back home and blow your fucking brains it's, all over uh, your wall. Yeah, it's jump cutting around, he's trashing the place. Yeah. This is similar to what, like, Roman Polanski in Chinatown, a scene where Jack Nicholson has the camera. And you see, like, the reflection in the lens of the camera. And Plansky was like, in real life, that reflection would be upside down on a camera lens. But I changed it around to serve the audience. And I think Tarantino does a brilliant thing in this where he has Leonardo DiCaprio looking at himself in the mirror, but his reflection's looking at looking you. Looking straight out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. as if he's decided to look at the corner of the room in the mirror, which mm. is, like, really weird. But it's to give you, you get to see... Leo yeah. was in profile and looking directly at you. Yeah, well, apparently yeah. that apparently that scene was totally improvised. Maybe, maybe in the script it said something like, "And then you know, Rick freaks out in his in his trailer in, in regret of blowing the scene." Yeah. And but like Leonardo DiCaprio just fully pushed himself into that, and and I mean it's perfect. It's yeah. it's actually brilliant. I, I'm pretty sure DiCaprio's gonna get an, at least another Oscar nomination. Did he win Oscar. anything ever? Has he won for? So he won. A, he won. A, he won for the Revenant. So he's right. already a winner. So he doesn't deserve it again. <laughs> if Brad Pitt doesn't get nominated for anything in this, I'll be surprised because I thought yeah. he was the best part of the film. I mean, he's, he's not a true Tarantino character. Isn't he? He's not a winner in the past, so he's got to have his turn. My yeah. comment to Cameron after the film had finished: you disappeared for a piss, <laughs> and. We broke the rules of like talking about the film. Uh, yeah, I, I, I impose a strict thing. rule that before recording, no discussion of the film whatsoever, okay? I love the way that uh, when Brad Pitt, he, so he picks up this hitchhiking girl that's been part of the landscape for a while in the film. She keeps coming and going. They keep locking eyes from his car window to her standing at the, the street. The sexy hippie played by Margaret Qualley. And it took me a while to basically... When she gets in the car with him, that's when I realised the third time you see her, I think, uh, and it's like, oh, she's going to be part of the Manson family. <laughs> so it took me a really oh, long was that, time. Was that not clear? I, no. Oh, right. I was so. like, you know what? Okay, the, he's, he's eyeing up these kids, but then it was like, when, when, she, when she started talking, when she started talking to him, I was like, oh, f- they're actually going to be the killers. Shit. It was like a total bummer for me because I was like, the, your introduction to that character is her being in a group of girls singing some weird hippie song, raiding through bins. Like I wasn't thinking about Sharon Tate's murder ah, at that point. Okay, I was, okay. I was distracted. You're by, in the world of the movie. I was distracted moment to moment. But, you know, my favourite... I, I was saying to Cameron that uh, when Brad Pitt gets driven up to the ranch where these people are staying and the mood just turns creepy in such it's a so such good. a nuanced way. It's not like a bam 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 type, you know, it's not like lightning's striking over it's some when they're peering castle. out of the, the buildings oh, and just looking and at them. It's got that know. midsummer energy, man. Yeah. Hilariously enough, it reminded me of True Detective, which is a TV show, the first season with Ma- uh, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Mm. And that's the show that Tarantino famously said that he, th- he didn't like it. He thought it was really overrated and he couldn't understand why anyone liked it. So, and you, you've touched on the, the ex- exact same mood in your new film. So yeah, I was just like, um, I would say to him, so you know how you don't like True Detective? Why do you have moods in your new film that's exactly like True Detective? Well, Simon, I straight up reject your hypotheses. If you understood my movie better than I understand my own movie, maybe then I'd understand your point of view. But until then, True Detective's a piece of shit, and so are you, Simon. But all these, like, backwoods sort of, you know, like, uh, spooky little houses, people peering through curtains, and they're all, like, nasty people. It's with folk horror. Nasty people with, you know... 
bad texture to their skin. Yeah. And, and they're all greasy hair. looking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I thought that you know what he's. It's funny how he didn't like True Detective, and yet that's exactly a button that he pushes, as mm. if he was inspired by it. Just, just like the Bella Lugosi thing, the Tim yeah. Burton thing. But yeah. No, that's it's, cool. it's just it's Wickerman. It's that's just, that's literally yeah, what that's it is. what I had in my head, but yeah. I couldn't. Wickerman. It is. Yeah. It's, that's that's just him like summoning a kind of trope of. Uh, it's a weird dodgy cult that, and then when Brad Pitt is in the middle of it, you're almost certain he's gonna die. I like, thought, yeah, maybe. you're like this is where he. Kicks I it. thought this was gonna happen when he was going up to the house. I thought the woman was just gonna shoot him through the yeah. door. Yeah, and this is this is what I mean when I talk about the restraint this film has because you're convinced that Brad Pitt's either gonna get murdered by the Manson family or kidnapped or you know you're you're convinced that the plot's gonna kick it up into third gear and then it's gonna just become a bit of a farce and a bit mental from the halfway point to the end. But really, it holds right on until the very last moment until it becomes a you know a Tarantino film that you know and love. The lack of Charles Manson in it is good and bad because if you watch the trailer for the film, you think he's going to be in it the whole way through. Because right? there's scenes in the trailer that, that the he's not in it, but you see him turn around at a caravan and he's got a smile on and all that. But when they go to that part in the film, he's not there. He's away in Santa Barbara. Yeah, they just say they just say like that. Charlie's going to love you, or you're going to love Charlie, or something like that. And he never turns see, up. See, I prefer that though. Mm-hmm. I prefer that because I prefer you're, you're left with the enigma of Charles Manson and the girls who are clearly like labouring and, and like worshipping underneath this enigma that do, that isn't even there, right? It's, it's he's not even in the film. And then also. You can see why the men in the ranch are involved as well, because after uh, that weird hippie-looking guy gets his ass handed to him by Brad Pitt at the ranch, the girls are all telling him that they love him, and then he kind of looks up, blood all over, all over his face, pathetic as you like. He looks up at the girls, and he's kind of reassured by it, and you're like, oh, so that's why he's here, because he's a, you know, he's an outcast, he's a misfit in the real world, and he is comforted by the fact that there are a weird group of hippie girls that like him. You know what I mean? That's that's what I got out of that. Anyway. Yeah. That scene is definitely going to make my, my favourite scenes of all It's time, a great basically. scene. Uh, it's Brad amazing. Pitt visiting that ranch. Also, Leonardo DiCaprio yelling at them when they're noisily parked outside his house. <laughs> you fucking hippies! And then, yeah, he locks eyes with this ginger creepy girl that's been <laughs> goggling at him the whole time. And he's like, what the fuck are you looking at? You know, it's just, uh, I'm going to have to take down the exact line when it's, I watch it again. <laughs> While said, having a he jug says, of I think margarita. he says, you ginger prick, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are you looking ginger. at? You ginger prick. And then he's holding, yeah, he's holding a jug of margarita. Because mar- mar- yeah. <laughs> you just, you just hate her. Just the way that she's looking. You know that, you know what she's a part of. Yeah. And she's looking at him 100%. in this way. And it's just like, yeah. you just, I just, you just love seeing like some disheveled Hollywood hack. Mm. guy just like you know banging See, I on think... some beat up car going hey fuck you you fucking hippies <laughs> you came up here to find some quiet dark street to smoke a joint fuck off you know <laughs> <laughs> when they're in the car I-, I was fully convinced that the murder of Sharon Tate was about to happen and yeah. I was like you fucking cunts you know which makes the catharsis of what happens to these fuckers amazing right mm-hmm. so You've seen the film, hopefully, if you're listening to If you've made it this section. far and you've not seen it yet, what are you doing? Yeah, please don't listen Switch to what I'm about to say. The three hippies, that, uh, the three Manson family members that managed to break into Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio's house, they get their asses handed to them. Horribly violent. Horrifically violent. Yeah, you are gleeful throughout that entire movie. Like, yeah, well, I was. I could see people hiding their eyes and stuff. Oh, know, my yeah. God. Especially like, you're, when you're they get literally... the dog. The dog attack bits were just <laughs> perfect. Amazing. Because you can just Dude. imagine if you have a dog at home, it's like, 
that's what you want your dog to do. If someone <laughs> breaks into your house with a knife, you just want it to leap on it and just rip their face off. It's great. It's more satisfying than the, the silly stuff that happens in Inglorious Bastards. I'm sorry, fans of Inglorious Bastards. I, no, I, I don't agree. like I don't like that film very much. And I think it just feels very silly to be like, you know, here's an Adolf Hitler that's very comical and all the rest of it. Mm, I completely uh, agree. So this, this is much more haunting and it feels like a sort of, in, in line with, Pulp Fiction's kind of striving for some sort of spiritual sort of, you know, the whole path of the righteous man thing. I kind of feel like he's he's doing a quantum leap thing. In the writing and directing this film, Quentin Tarantino plays uh, Dr. Sam Beckett, jumping into the quantum leap regenerator and putting right what once went wrong. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's like a Doctor Who episode. Why don't we all just go take loads of acid right now? As an experiment, I'll find out tonight what it's like to be on us. Yeah. By the way, Brad Pitt's stuntman and Kurt Russell played stuntman Mike in Death Proof. Mm. Uh, Death, Death Proof? Did I say Death Proof? Yeah. <laughs> Kurt <laughs> Russell played stuntman Mike in Death Proof. Uh, and he's in this film as another character. And I think that Brad Pitt has been told. Could you kind of copy Kurt Russell in Death Proof? I haven't seen Death Proof. Neither have I. The, the speech, I'm telling you, the, the speech pattern and the voice, is Brad Pitt is, is doing Stuntman Mike a little bit. It's okay. a different character as well. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, I want you to reference Stuntman Mike. You're going to hit on several notes and one of them is going to be Stuntman Mike. It was just like him referencing his own foot fetish. Oh, I think I think when you're when you're a, a filmmaker who is as who is as obsessed with media and stuff as Tarantino clearly is, there's no way that he's not aware of all the things people say about him, right? Yeah. The speech that the Manson family make in the car before they go to commit the murders is literally Tarantino taking down the people who call his films too violent, right? Because he's he's literally the girls talking about how Hollywood taught them violence and stuff like that. <laughs> and then Tarantino proceeds to slaughter them absolutely mercilessly. I think it's potentially the most violent Tarantino film, or that scene is certainly the most violent I've seen in a Tarantino movie. I think. It's almost like he's putting the voice of, you know, snidey journalists that want to accuse him of being morally... He rips him up. <laughs> you know, he, he places them inside the Manson family yeah. and then gives them their just for. Well, it's tears, like tears it's like up. the interview when, I can't remember what film it was, but he was on an American show and the woman's like, why do your movies have to be so violent? And he just turns he just, and looks again. Because, it because looks, it's fun, Sharon. Yeah, I was, that, I was thinking of that one as well. It was like the first Kill Bill yeah, movie. Yeah, that was it. it was, uh, yeah, and, and later on, that was after Django, the, the, the BBC That was the did. Channel 4. Yeah, the, or the Channel 4 guy. Yeah, he was just like, you know, I, I've already addressed this point 10 years ago and I still feel the same way now. Violence in movies doesn't bring violence into real life. Here, I, here. <laughs> I, will, I will say, when I saw it in the cinema... My friend John hates talking in the cinema, and I have never heard him speak words in the cinema before. When Leonardo DiCaprio goes to the shed and the Asian woman is in the pool screaming with her bloody face, and you see the tube from his flamethrower that was in early in the film, and I just look at my friend John, and he just goes, 
Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Her bursting through his window and then bursting out of the surface of the... Po- so there's two there's two burstings in that yeah. scene. She bursts out through the window and that gets Leonardo DiCaprio freaked out. And then she falls in the pool and she bursts out of the surface of the pool, gets him freaked out all over again. And, you know, I just think that he's already made, like, the, the horror movie moment that, you know, if he was to do a horror movie next, it'd be like, well, why bother? You've already done the best horror movie moment outside of a horror film so. that was it was it was horrific but yeah hilarious like like it's yeah. the amusement you get out of the scene like i think if you watch the scene in isolation had you not seen the rest of the movie you'd, you'd just be horrified you'd be like what the f-? why does anyone like this but then in the context of the film it's so obvious well, it's, it's just when the guys point the guns like i'm the devil and i'm here to do the devil's business so that's actually that's a real thing that the guy said before the murders took place so tarantino oh. So, right, so okay. yeah, Tarantino factors in actual historical information. Oh, I didn't, so, I didn't know that part. It's li- literally an alternate, alternate history. Because I, I did, I have read up on the Sharon Tate stuff, and I know that they only went into her house. They didn't go to a neighbor's house. No, so that's when all they, made up. When they pivoted off to the neighbor's house, I thought this is where it becomes more Tarantino and completely so, jumps the shit. I think that there's a real satisfaction just to to Brad Pitt pointing out that he recognises them and seeing their faces because it totally takes them down. It shatters them. Yeah. It shatters the idea that they're the devil. You yeah. Know? It yeah. shatters the idea that they're... You know, it's like, actually, I met you before and you're a bunch of arseholes. You're and just I dumb, your, miscated kids. And I, and I kicked you. Your, your friend who made him fix <laughs> like, the car. Yeah. It's like in Dead Man's Shoes where Paddy Considine holds out his hand and goes, you're fucking there, and points to the centre of his palm. I can't wear your fae. I can't your feather. <laughs> Uh, By the way, if you're not from Scotland, that is, I know where you are from, I knew your father. Margot Robbie, uh, a lot of people have pointed out that she doesn't say much in the film, and I think if you watch this film and all you've got to say about it is, she doesn't have much to say, it's like, but dialogue isn't the only thing that's important about a performance, and there's scenes in this film of her being a physical actor that you would, you would say, that's really cool that they gave someone the space to do that. If, so, if other people are dealing with the dialogue heavy bits and the humorous stuff, then give Margot Robbie, who's playing someone that you, you know, you probably, the more you write into someone like that, who's genuinely rooted in reality and stuff, the more you put in there, it's like, it's, you know, leave, you almost leave, do more of a disservice to her. Leave yeah. it blank, leave it a bit of blank, you know. Well, she is just like, basically in people's minds as someone that is on screen or in photograph so this is kind of the best way to yeah. honor and in, in this in this film she's basically a walking talking symbol you know what yeah. I mean? like she's a symbol of the of, of the, the pure and innocent 1960s the fact that people speak about her steve mcqueen wants to tell people at a party about and he's pointing at that woman there and that guy there you know yeah he, you know he never had a chance with her because apparently her type is Really talented small people who look twelve years old or fourteen years old. <laughs> so, final thoughts, boys. I would say the first most parts of the film was very slow but interesting because obviously, like I said, I like the time period. But if you don't like the sixties, early seventies, you're probably gonna hate this up until the last five minutes, and then you're just gonna cheer. I would give it an eight out of ten. I think that's definitely fair, mate. I think. I think. If you don't know at least a little bit about even things like film history, I mean, the film does a pretty good job at kind of setting the scene as to what exactly is going on and what exactly. Is that the new Hollywood was hugely inspired by 
the new Hollywood, which took place in the kind of late 60s, early 70s, or in, right into the 70s, was hugely inspired by European cinema. If you if you know so if you know that about film history, then it will help your enjoyment of the film a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I really like the movie. I think it's it's not my favorite Tarantino. I don't think I was a little bit not hugely pleased with it the first time I saw it. Apart from the amazing ending sequence, I thought it was amazing. But the second time I saw it, which we ju- we literally just got out of it, I loved every minute. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I didn't even notice how long it was. Whereas before, I kind of felt it was pretty poorly paced. I give it an 8 as well, I think. 8 out of 10, baby. Yeah, I'm giving it a 9. And I'm saying it's his second best film after Pulp Fiction for me. Because I think Pulp Fiction's a 10 out of 10. And I think, yeah, it's a tapestry of moods. And every one of them is like, great. What's next? It's like being given one spoonful of ice cream. Great. What's next? And then another spoonful. <laughs> Nine out of ten from me. Thank you very much for listening to Modern Fart. This is our first episode. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time in Hollywood. You'll sound a bit defeated. Oh wait a minute. Nine out of ten, baby. I was expecting to see Sharon Tate get murdered. By straight up projector hypotheses. <laughs> <laughs>